Good morning, America. Good afternoon, Eretz Yisrael. We're continuing this year in Chaim Oharan, and today is the Gimel Iyar. We just started the month of Iyar when Sfira Soimer. Today is Tiferes Sheba Tiferes, the 17th day of Yomer. We dedicate the learning today, Le'ilu Nishmas, Yentafradl Bas Rabbi Shuarye, Hareni Kaporas Mishkovov, and also for a complete refuah shalema for all those that need it, including Chaviva Chana Bas Galia, Chana Merel Bas Estegolda, Yaakov Yehoshua Ben Freindel Rechel, Avram David Ben Chana, Besoich Shar Choyle Yisrael. In the previous year, we discussed a, a story, a, a vision that Rabbeinazal had, and we went through the we went through it on a basic level, and I'd like in today's shear to give some of the commentary that's found based on the explanations of some of the elders of Breslau that they gave regarding this dream that Rabbeinazal had. For those that were with us last week, it'll be a little bit of a review of the dream, but the commentary will be new. And for those that weren't, we'll try to go through it again. Rabbeinazal said that a visitor came into a house, a guest on Oireach, and he asked the head of the house, how do you make a living? How do you earn a living? And the, the person answered, I don't have a fixed livelihood, but the world provides me with what I need to live. Then the guest asked him, what do you learn? And the host answered him, and they continued talking together. They got into a discussion where it started to get really deep, talking from the heart. And then the host, this, the host started to feel a deep yearning to get to know how he could possibly reach a certain level of holiness. And the guest said to him, I'll learn with you. At that point, the host was surprised because he hadn't expressed this. He hadn't said anything to the guest. This was something that he felt deep in his heart, a deep yearning of wanting to get to some kind of a high level of connection to Hashem. And how did this guest know about it? And he started thinking, maybe this guest isn't a human being at all. But then he looked and he saw that he was the, the guest was talking to him normally like another human being. And then immediately afterwards, he felt a strong feeling of faith and resolve to trust this guest. And he started calling him Rebbe, my Rebbe, my teacher. And he said to him, first of all, I'd like to ask you to teach me how I should conduct myself regarding showing proper respect for somebody like you. He said, even though there's nothing that I could do to detract from your true glory, but still it's hard for human beings sometimes to be able to know exactly how to conduct themselves regarding this item, regarding respect for a, an important person, a holy person especially. That's why I want you to teach me exactly how I should conduct myself in terms of showing you respect. 
So the guest said, right now, I don't have the time. At another time, I'll come and teach you this. Right now, I have to leave. So then the, the host asked him, but th this also I need you to teach me. I need you to teach me when you leave, how far do I have to go in order to accompany you? The mitzvah of Levoya, when somebody comes to your home, you're supposed to accompany them out. That's one of the ways of showing respect. So the guest said, till outside of the entrance, till outside of the house. Now the host started thinking to himself, how can I go out with this person? Right now, I'm with him in the house among ordinary people. But if I go out with him alone, who knows who this is? And, and he said, I'm afraid to go out with you. So the guest said to him, if you see that I can learn with you just like this in the house, then surely if why I wanted to do anything else to you, who, who would stop me? So the host went with him out of the entrance, and then suddenly the guest grabbed him and started flying with him. And Rabbeinazar says it was very cold for this host. So the, so the, the, the guest took a garment and gave it to him and said, take this garment and it'll be good for you. And then he said to him, you'll have food and drink and everything will be good for you and you'll live in your house. This balabais, this host, went flying with this guest. And then suddenly, this host noticed that he's back in his house. And he couldn't believe that this was him himself in his own house. But he looked around carefully. And sure enough, he was speaking with other people and eating and drinking normally. And then again, he noticed that suddenly he was flying like before. And then he looked again and he saw he was in his house. And then he saw he was flying and this went on for a while. Let's pause here and try to give some of the clarification on this. The term that Rabbeinazal used for the host, <coughs> the host is a balabais and, and the guest is an oireach. The Hebrew word for guest is oireach. Now, the word oireach means a guest, and the word oireach, which is spelled exactly the same way, is also a term used to refer to the path of a tzaddik. There's a pasuk in Tehillim, v'oireach tzaddikim ka'oyer noiga, hoileich v'nochoin ad oir hayoin. Unfortunately, this story does not appear in some of the editions of Chaim Aran. In the English version, tzaddik, they have this, this story that we're telling now. It's known as Maise Me'oireach, the story regarding the guest. So we mentioned that the word Oireach can mean a tzaddik or the path of a tzaddik. <clears throat> so in this case, the Balabayas is a regular person, the Oireach is the tzaddik. And the Oireach comes to the Balabayas. <clears throat> And he engages him in conversation. And first he asks him, what do you do? How do you make a living? That's how people usually talk. When people meet each other, they say, what do you do? 
And what do you do usually means, <clears throat> how, do you, how do you earn a living? How do you support yourself? It's interesting to note that I once heard years ago from Rabbi Yechaim Rosen, <clears throat> he mentioned that there was a person who met another Jew, a religious Jew, and they started speaking and he said to him, what do you do? So the person said to him, well, I work, I do that. This is how I earn my livelihood. He said, no, no, that's what Hashem does. Hashem is the one who provides livelihood. When I said, what do you do? I meant, what are you doing in Torah and mitzvahs? That's what you do. Livelihood? You don't, you don't do that. You don't provide livelihood. Hashem provides a livelihood. And this was an important message for a person to know that even for those who go out to work, that work is a certain hishtadlus. It's a certain effort. It's not necessarily always connected to what a person will earn or what, what the person will receive to support themselves. There are times, many times, where a person works in business or other work and they don't have what they need. And then Hashem sends what they need from some other direction, a place that they didn't expect, didn't realize, didn't know. I was just talking a few minutes ago before the shear. I was talking to a friend from Baltimore and he told me that his son got married and there was an agreement between the, the parents and the in-laws of providing a certain level of support for this young couple to get them started. And he said that, that at one point, the in-laws said they cannot continue. And this was relatively early in the agreement. And, and this created a hole. And the, the person I was speaking to said, it looks like I'm going to have to provide another $1,000 a month for my son and his wife, you know, to be able to exist. And this came as a surprise. And also, as, as a, a, a point of stress, that to this person, this is a serious amount of money to have to take out of his own earnings and provide, it, provide his son and daughter-in-law with this. And then in the same conversation, he told me, but on another note, he got a piece of good news. He works as a certain type of doctor, and there was a certain board of doctors that was reviewing the the trying to upgrade the salaries of these doctors. And sh shockingly, they came, they, they just recently, they came back and said that they're all going to get a 15% raise, which he said is something quite substantially. And in the conversation, he didn't even mention the connection between the two. Listening to this conversation, I'm hearing how here suddenly a person gets a bill from one's direction, and Hashem sends, Hashem gives a message that I'm, I'm handling it. I can handle it. I can manipulate. I can change your salary if I want, or I can send you money from unlimited other directions. The Gemara says, Hashem has many different messengers. But here the tzaddik engaged this person in conversation, and he asked him, what do you do? And the person said to him, I don't really have a fixed livelihood. However, the world provides for me with what I need to live. Then the guest, guest asked him, what do you learn? And, and he responded. And then Rabbi Nezal says they continued the conversation until they started getting into, getting into a heart-to-heart -heart discussion. Because in order for a tzaddik to be able to reach a person, to be able to help a person, the person has to have a serious conversation. The person has to open his heart. 
We know that there, there are words that come from the mouth of a person. There's a pasuk in the Torah where it says, <clears throat> with your mouth, you respected me, but your heart is very distant from me. Bisfasav kibduni, with their lips, they paid respect to me. But their hearts are very distant from me, Hashem says. So we know that real conversation is when it's words that are coming from the heart. And in fact, we have an expression in the Torah, that when a person is speaking words that are coming from the heart, those words can enter into the heart of the person that they're talking to. So now, at first, they started a light conversation, and then this led into a much deeper conversation where they were talking heart to heart. And at that point, when a person engages with a tzaddik in that kind of conversation, the person's heart gets turned on. And this person started feeling a deep, deep yearning of how to get close to Hashem, how to achieve a certain level of holiness. And, and when the person started feeling that yearning, that's when the tzaddik says to him, I'll learn with you. Because we have a rule, usually, that it's only when a person shows a certain degree of desire, of yearning, of initiative, then the tzaddik responds, the tzaddik can give that person. You have to put out your hand in order to be able to receive, in order for the tzaddik to be able to give you. The person doesn't put out their hand, even though the tzaddik has unlimited resources, he can't necessarily give. And now we said that this host was surprised because he realized he saw that even though he didn't tell the tzaddik that he's feeling this deep yearning and longing for Hashem, the tzaddik obviously sensed it, was able to tell the thoughts that were going on in his mind and in his heart, and the tzaddik was able to, uh, that's when the tzaddik offered that I'm going to learn with you. And we find several instances like this by Rabbeinazal, where one of Rabbeinazal's students, Reb Doiv, who was originally close to two rabbis in the city that he lived, in the city of Dashiv, and then there were certain circumstances which forced him to have to move, to have to move to a different city, the city of Medvedevka, when Rabbeinazal was living in that city. And one of these rabbis, Reb Yudel, who, who was this Reb Doiv's rabbi, had heard that Rabbeinazal, Rabbi Nachman, is in Medvedevka, and he unfortunately heard some negative things about Rabbeinazal. So he warned Reb Doiv, you're going to be in Medvedevka, make sure you don't go to this Reb Nachman. Reb Doiv had great respect for him. He went to Medvedevka, he was living there, and he was going through different challenges, different difficulties. And one of the greatest challenges that he had was that he was married for a while and they weren't having any children. And living in a religious community, this was weighing on him tremendously. And Rav Nosanzal writes, sometimes when a person's really in a deep, deep pain and struggle, that, that pushes them to have to search and to be able to find what they need to find. So feeling what he was feeling at one point, even though his rabbi had warned him, his rabbi Rebutel had warned him, don't go into Reb Nachman, 
he did go to see Rabbeinazal, and Rabbeinazal gave him certain advice and certain encouragement, <clears throat> and he ended up having a child. But when he when he came and and he spent some time in that city with Rabbeinazal, and then he had to go back a while later, several months later, or a year later, he had to go back to the city of Dashiv, and he. He was very concerned that when he meets his rabbi there, Rebutal, and if Rebutal asks him, did you listen to me? And not go, what's he going to say? Rabbi Nezal said to him, don't be afraid. You have nothing to be afraid of. You didn't do anything wrong at all whatsoever. If he asks you, you'll tell him. So sure enough, when Rebdoiv went back, Rebutal immediately noticed a change in him. He saw that this Rebdoiv was a new person on a completely different level spiritually. And he questioned him, and Rebdoiv told him, yes, I did go into Rabbi Nachman, and I was incredibly inspired and motivated. He helped me in a very, very big way. And he said to him, <clears throat> Rebdoiv said that he gave me, I, I received a level of respect and fear and awe for Hashem, something completely different than what I had before, completely different. Sure enough, at one point, this Rebutal decided, I want to go see this rabbi. And he was poor, financially poor at the time. So he ended up walking from Dashiv to, I believe it was, Rabbi Nezal was still in Medvedevko, wherever he was at the time. And he came into Rabbi Nezal, now, this Rebutal knew was very knowledgeable in all facets of Torah, in the revealed Torah, in Kabbalah. He was a Mekubal. People would come to him with Pidyonis. He was looked up to by many people as, as a, a great rabbi. And when he came into Rabbeinazal, he said to Rabbeinazal, Yilamdeinu Rabbeinu Derech Bavodes Hashem. Let, our, let, let the rabbi teach us a path in serving Hashem. Rabbeinazal looked at him, and Rabbeinazal realized that Rebutal is coming like a rabbi. He's coming like a rabbi to a rabbi. When you want to learn from somebody, you don't come like a rabbi. You come like a student. So Rabbeinazal responded to him, Lodas This is a pasuk in Tehillim, which we recite in the prayers after Sfira Soimer, in Lamanatseach Beneginois, where the pasuk says, to let the path of Hashem be known down on earth. Meaning Rabbi Nezal was saying to him, Do, it, it, can, can great wisdom of Hashem be put all the way down in the dirt? And suddenly Rebutal was filled with a panic, a terror. He was terrified. And he, like, he jumped back. And Rabbi Nezal looked at him and smiled and he said, I don't understand. What are you afraid of? I'm just, I'm the same as you. I'm the same human being as you are. Just I'm, I'm smarter. And Rabbi Nezal spoke to him a little more and, and was makar of him. And then again, a few minutes later, suddenly Rebutal felt this incredible terror, fear, like he's standing at Mount Sinai and the whole mountain is shaking and everything and, and, and jumped back. And Rabbi Nezal said to him, I told you, you have nothing to be afraid of. I'm just like you, just a little smarter than you. And this happened several times. And Rabbi Nezal 
understood that this was necessary to put Rebutal in a place where he would be able to be received. And Rebutal became one of the great close students of Rabbeinazal. There was another story like this with Rabnasanzal himself. When Rabnasanzal first met Rabbeinazal, he came with Rabnaftali's friend and another friend. And at, at that first meeting, Rabbeinazal told them three stories. One of the stories that Rabbeinazal told Rabnasanzal, and the three of them actually, but Rabnasanzal is the one who really got the message, was he told them that the Balshemtoiv, who lived maybe 180 years prior to that, that one of the great, great students that came to the Balshemtoiv was Reb Michal from Zlachev, who himself later on became one of the outstanding leaders of Hasidus in Klal Yisrael. And this Reb Michal, when he came to the Balshemtoiv, at first he came with deep respect. And then at one point, he started thinking, who knows, maybe he's not really that great. And the Balshemtoiv looked at him, and the Balshemtoiv said to him, he grabbed him by his, by his, the lapel of his sleeve, and he said to Michal Bistamoretz, because Reb Michal, this Reb Michal was thinking at the time that there's a Gemara that says, that when an Amhoretz meets a Talmud Chacham, when he first meets him, he feels tremendous respect. He considers him like a gold pitcher of gold. Then, once he gets a little more familiar with him, the respect drops, and now he looks at him like a pitcher of silver, much less valuable. Then, when he gets more familiar, he loses respect. And now he looks at him like a, a piece of pottery, a piece of broken pottery that when it breaks, you have no use for it at all. And the Gemara says, this is an Amharitz. This is a person who doesn't really want to learn and who, who, who doesn't really have the qualities needed to come close to Hashem. So Reb Michal, when he had this thought, maybe the Balshemtav is not so great, suddenly he remembered this Gemara that says that an Amoritz responds that way, that when he first sees a Talmud Chacham, he has tremendous respect for him. But then as time goes on, the respect gets less and less. And when the Baal Shem Tov grabbed his sleeve and said to Michal Bistamoritz, Reb Michal realized that the Baal Shem Tov knew exactly what he was thinking. So he realized this isn't a typical rabbi. Now, when Rabbein was telling this story to Rav that same thought was going through his mind. Rav Nosenzal had met many rabbis. He grew up in a world of giants of Torah before he entered Hasidus. And then <clears throat> from the age of 16 to 22, he spent six years by giants, Rav Levietzov Bardichev, Rav Yisrael Paprush, the giants of the generation at the time in Hasidus. And now he meets this young man, Rav was 30 years old at the time, and when he first came in, he came in with deep respect. But then the thought entered his mind that maybe, maybe yes, maybe not. And Rabbeinazal grabbed Rabbeinazal's sleeve and said to Michal Bistamoretz. And he realized that Rabbeinazal knew exactly what he was thinking. And he realized, again, that this isn't an ordinary rabbi, that this is somebody who he might be able to learn a lot from, as Baruch Hashem he was to. 
Now we said in the in the story that the the host said to the guest that I I would like to refer to you as my Rebbe, which means that he was ready to accept the tzaddik's authority on himself. So the and and then he said to him, first, I'd like to ask you to teach me how I should conduct myself regarding respect for someone like you. And this is one of the most important concepts in Yiddishkeit, in Judaism, and in Hasidus, and in coming close to Hashem. The Torah says, Reishis Chochma Yiras Hashem, that knowledge of Torah, spirituality, is not like mathematics or biology or another type of study, which you read the book or you listen to the lectures and you concentrate and each person's brain will, will understand as much as they can. The, the Torah is divine wisdom. It's the wisdom of Hashem. It's in a completely different league. And if a person wants to be zeicher to Torah, to real, to the real, the, the real truth of the Torah and to come close to Hashem, there are prerequisites. And one of the most important basic prerequisites is yira. Yira means respect. The word yira and kovoid in this concept mean the same thing. The host said to the guest, I want you to teach me how to respect you. We know that in Shulchan Aruch, in Yoradea, there's a chapter of Hilchois Kivoid Raboy, the laws of exactly what type of respect a person is supposed to have for one's rabbi. And in that chapter in Shulchan Aruch, quoting from the Gemara, it speaks about different rabbis. A person could have many rabbis. A person can have a rabbi who teaches him Aleph Beis. A person has a rabbi who teaches him Chumash. Another rabbi teaches him Gemara. Another rabbi teaches him Halacha. So there are rabbis, and there's what's called Rabbi Muvhak, which means the most important rabbi in a person's life, the, the most serious rabbi. And here the Shulchan Aruch discusses how do we define that? And the Maskana, the final conclusion is, it's the one who teaches the person hashkafa, faith in Hashem, real faith in Hashem, faith in the Torah. That's the, Rabbi Muvak. That's the most important learning that a rabbi can teach a student. That's this term, Rebbe Muvak, number one. And then in addition, we have the concept of a of a rabbi of the generation, a leader of the generation. And it's interesting in the Likutei Aloha Shirim that we've been having recently, this is exactly the topic we've been learning. And Rav Nassensal explains there, based on Likutei Mran, that when you're dealing with a rabbi of the generation, when you're dealing with a tzaddik hadur, the tzaddik of the generation, even if a person has not learned anything directly from him, they never sat with him face to face. They never heard him speak. That rabbi, his learning, his study of Torah affects the entire generation. So whether it's directly or indirectly, everyone in the generation is benefiting from his study of Torah. And everyone in the generation is required to apply the laws of respect that we would apply to Rebbe Mufak to one's most, the most important rabbi in a person's life. So here we see that the, the guest, the, the, the host, when he realized 
that this guest is someone, is a tzaddik, somebody really special, his first question was that I need you to teach me, I need to know how to show you the proper respect, because the, the Mishnah says in Pirkei Avos, im ein yira, ein chachma. If there isn't the proper respect for Torah and for a Talmud Chacham, then the person, no matter how smart they are, no matter how many books they read, no matter how much they learn, they will not acquire what Torah is really supposed to give a person. The Torah is supposed to change, it's supposed to be life-changing. It's supposed to change a person completely, help the person eliminate all of their negative character traits and, and elevate the person. The, the, the Mishnah says in Pirkei Avos that a person who studies Torah lishma, a person who studies Torah for the right reasons, is zeichet to an incredible list of qualities. The person is beloved by Hashem and beloved by all people. The person has humility. The person, Hashem reveals secrets of Torah to that person. And we find that even in the generation of the Arizal, the Arizal lived 500 years ago, approximately. Reb Chaim Vital, when he introduces the writings of the Arizal, he writes there that there were certain rabbis at that time who were hearing about the Arizal, they were hearing this, this rabbi who's revealing knowledge of Torah that no one ever heard before, incredible deep things. The Arizal was able to take his students into a cemetery and go over to a stone and say, this person was in the world seven times and list the seven times that the person was in the world, what their name was, in what generation they were in, and exactly why they had to come back another time, what they hadn't completed in that first trip that caused them to come back a second time and a third time and so on and so forth. That's just one example of incredible things. So there were people who were doubting, who knows whether this person is really true or chas v'shon false. And Reb Chaim Vital writes there in the introduction to the writings of Yarizal, he says to these rabbis, to these people, I say, that the Mishnah says in Pirkei Avos that if a person learns Torah lishma properly, that person will be zechut to a long list of incredible qualifications. Let these rabbis look at themselves and ask themselves, do they have these qualifications? Have they achieved this? And if not, then they need to realize they haven't yet really tasted what it means to learn Torah lishma. Whereas our Rebbe, the Arizal, we saw all of those things clearly come to life. All the qualities that the Mishnah describes there of a person who's learning Torah properly, we saw all of those things plus. So here, the first thing that the host asked the guest was, I need you to teach me how to show you proper respect. And now the guest said to him, right now, I don't have time. Another time, I'll come and teach you this. Right now, I have to leave. Person would think, what kind of time is that to leave? The person is showing a genuine interest. They want to learn. They want to show respect. And the, in the commentary, it's explained, based on Rabbi Nezal's teachings, that this is how it goes in our relationship with Hashem, and this is how it works in our relationship with a tzaddik, that a person doesn't get everything in one shot. It's not like a person comes, and right away they're given everything. A person is given a taste sometimes. A person, the curtain is opened a little bit, 
for the person to be able to see that there's something very, very special here. And if the person is honest and sincere, then that person sees that, realizes that, and, and realizes this, that whatever it takes, I will do whatever it takes to be able to get more of this. And when Hashem or when the tzaddik says to the person, see you later, I have to leave now, the person realizes that now they have to pray to Hashem or they have to really put in serious effort to be able to continue, to be able to continue. Just like right now, we're in the period of Sfira Soimer and the Zohar Kodesh and the Arizal and Rabbein Nassim, Rabbein Nassim, write about this, that when, when the Jews came out of Egypt, that's when we really began as a nation to serve Hashem. And we find that coming out of Egypt, we're told that the night was lit up like day, like daylight. And there were incredible miracles coming out of Egypt. And then there were miracles at the splitting of the Red Sea. But then everything shut down. Everything closed down. And the Zohar HaKadosh Narizal explained that on the night, on that first night of Pesach, there's an incredible bright light that Hashem shined upon the Jewish nation, which is what we needed to give us that boost of energy to get out of Egypt, to get out of all the tumor, the impurity that we were in during the time that we were in Egypt. However, that lasts just for that first day, for that first day of Pesach, and then that light leaves. Why? Because now it's up to us to show initiative. It's up to us to start climbing, to start showing that we want to get, we want that light, we need that light. And that's when we start counting the Omer on the second day of Pesach. We start counting 49 days, every day trying to go up another level. And the, the prayers of Sfira Soimer, the, the L'Shem Yichud that we say before the bracha and the prayers that come after the bracha are incredible, incredible, powerful tefillahs pleading with Hashem to help us get rid of all the negativity, all the impurities, and be able to come close to Hashem, be able to receive the Torah on Mount Sinai, on Shavuos, on the 50th day. So that's this process that Hashem reaches out to the person, that tzaddik reaches out to the person, and even for that, the person has to show some initiative. But then the, the tzaddik leaves, the light leaves, and then it's up to the person to know that now that they, they have to work, they have to pray, and they have to build up desire and intensify their desire to a point where they'll be able to get to the next level, able to get to the, the true connection to the tzaddik. We find this, this system appears in the final story in Sipurim Isis, the, the story, the 13th story of the seven bettlers where the story there speaks about a couple that gets married. And this couple were actually two children originally that got lost in the forest and they had no source of food and they were crying and crying. And then suddenly a bettler appeared. A bettler means a beggar. And the beggar brought food, brought bread and said to them, here's some bread. And, and this was fabulous. This saved them at the time. And then they, the bettler said to them <clears throat> that, that, uh, that 
they, they asked him to stay, and he said, I can't stay, I have to go. And that bachelor left. And then they used up that food, and again, they had no food and started crying and crying again. And then a, a second bettler came. And each time the bettler appeared to have a major defect. The first bettler seemed to be blind. The second bettler seemed to be deaf and so on and so on. And each time the bettler gave them some food, but then they, when they pleaded with the bettler to stay, he said, I can't, I have to leave. And it was only later, after these two got out of the forest, after they got married, and at the after the wedding, when they had Sheva brothers, the seven days after the wedding, when they were thinking about the incredible kindness that Hashem showed them in saving their lives when they were lost in the desert, at that, in, in the forest, and they started yearning, wow, if only, if only we could see the Betler now during this great time of joy. And when they had that high level yearning, the Betler came, the Betler showed up. On each one of the seven days of the Sheva Brachas, another Betler showed up. And this time, the Betler said that when I met you in the forest, before I left, I gave you a blessing that you should be like me. I gave you a bracha. But now I'm giving it to you as a gift, an actual wedding gift, that you should be like me. You should have the qualities that I have. And the Betler went on to, each one of the Betlers went on to tell a story to show that what seemed like a defect wasn't a defect. The blind bettler was blind to the silliness, foolishness of this world. He was able to see only holy things and, and important things. And he had the highest level of memory, incredible. Each one of the bettlers had an incredible thing. But no, at first, they were only able to give a bracha. A bracha is something, something meaningful, but it doesn't compare to when the bettler says, now I'm giving you a gift that you will be just like me. That's taking the person to a whole completely other level. We find similarly, when it came to Rabbeinazar revealing the Tikkun HaKloli, which is one of the most outstanding revelations of Rabbeinazar. Rabbeinazar writes that first Rabbeinazar spoke about this with his students, he spoke about the fact that there are many sins, many, and, and there, there are certain sins that are so bad where the Zohar Kodesh says that it's in, ir, irreparable damage. It cannot be repaired, cannot be fixed, such as chas when a person wastes seed, chas and, and there were certain tzaddikim afterwards that said that even though the Zohar Kodesh says that, there has to be a tikkun. There's no such thing as something that cannot be repaired. And Sadiqim throughout the generations tried to search to find this tikkun hakloli, something that's a general tikkun that can repair everything and anything. And Rabbeinazar spoke to his students and he told them <clears throat> that, that the, the Sefer Tehillim has in it incredible powers the Sefer Tehillim is based on 10 different types of song, and it was composed by 10 different tzaddikim. And, and the Sefer Tehillim has in it the power to even cure a person and heal a person even from this type of sin. But Rabbein didn't reveal which 10 chapters it is. And it wasn't until a long, more than a year later, I believe, there was one time when Rabbein Nassau pleaded with Rabbein to to tell him which ones, and Rabbi Nezal said, not now, it's not the time. And it wasn't until many months later, or maybe a year later, 
that Rabbein Azal revealed exactly the exact formula, which 10 chapters it is, that reciting these 10 chapters of Tehillim in this order are this incredible, powerful formula that can even serve as a tikkun for that type of sin and a general tikkun for all types of sins, as Rabbein Azal explains in chapter 29 in Likud Imran and in other places. But so we see, we see here that sometimes things go in stages. We find also that Rabbein Azal, when he was 30 years old, was traveling at one point, and he traveled, he passed through the city of Uman. And at that time, he had some contact with the Apikursim there, with the leaders of the city who were atheists, and they pleaded with him to stay. They asked him to stay. And Rabbi Nezal said, not now. He left, and it wasn't until almost eight years later that Rabbi Nezal ended up coming back to Uman and being the car of them and, and accomplishing the un- incredible things that we have no idea. We have no idea about the incredible things that Rabbi Nezal accomplished during those five, six months at the end of his life that he was in Uman. And we say, we see that this is still going on till today. Till today, there are Jews traveling during COVID, during wartime, people traveling to the kever of the tzaddik and being mispalo there and being able to, to change, turn themselves, people being able to change themselves, to turn themselves around and to be able to affect yeshuas, different salvations that people need. Any questions, please? Reb Nussin, the, defor- the perception of the defect in the betler, is that due to our sort of defect, as it were, in our amuna? Is that the analogy? So it seems like they're defective, but is that the idea that it's our defect in our amuna or in some other quality of ours that they seem like that? Correct. The answer is it's because we are in an upside down world. Because we are in an oilam hasheker, as it's called. The Torah tells us that this world that we're living in today is called oilam hasheker. The future world is called oilam ho'emes. So in, in, a, in a world of sheker, there's a term that's used topsy-turvy or upside down. The Gemara says that one of the rabbis at one point went into a coma. And, and when he came out of it, the rabbis asked him, what happened to you? And he said, my soul actually left me and went up to heaven. So they said, could you describe what you saw? And he said, yes, I saw the exact opposite of what we see down here. I saw that those people here that are respected highly and everything here, they're considered stars and over there, they have very, very little respect. Whereas the people in this world, who are treated, who are not shown respect, who are looked down upon, frowned upon, such as the religious people, or sometimes tzaddikim even, over there they're treated with tremendous respect. So this tells us that as long as a person is within the sheker of this world, to the degree that a person is caught up in the falseness of this world, what they're seeing is the opposite of the truth. They're seeing things upside down. There's a Pusik actually, where the Pusik says, Mi Iver Kemeshulam. Who is considered blind 
like someone who is complete, someone who is whole. Mishulam Yishlemus means perfection. That in this world, one who achieves perfection, the person who gets to the highest degree of closeness to Hashem, people look at that person as if he's blind, as if he, he doesn't see it, he doesn't know anything. That, that kind of thing, not realizing that this person knows much more than all of us put together. This person knows the truth. Whereas people running around in this world thinking they know this and they know that. And then there are times that some people realize this at certain points in their lifetime, that they thought they knew, they thought they knew what life was about. They thought they knew what friendships were about. And they discover, wow, boy, was I wrong. Why was I wrong? The things that I thought that were most important, now I see a lot of it is nonsense. There are certain fears and phobias that people have at different times. And then afterwards they realize, what, what was I afraid of? What was I thinking of? You know, that, that, that kind of thing. Thank you. Thank you. We said that when the when the host asked the guest about you're leaving now, teach me what type of respect am I supposed to show to you when you're leaving? So he said to him to, to accompany me till outside of the entrance. And now the host started thinking to himself, I'm afraid, how do I go outside? In the house, I feel safe with him. But going out, who knows what's going to happen? Who knows what's going to be? And when he told him, I'm afraid to go out with you, the, 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 the guest didn't insist. He left it to the free choice of the person. If you want, you can come. You don't want, you don't have to come. And we know that Hashem does not take away a person's free choice. And a tzaddik also does not take away a person's free choice. Then we said they went out and all of a sudden, the guests grabbed him and started to fly with him. Now, this concept, the concept of the house, when the, the host felt safe and comfortable in the house, but to leave the house, that's a whole other thing. We find that when Hashem reaches out to Avraham Avinu, Avraham Avinu went through quite a bit in, his, in the early stages of his life. <clears throat> he, he was uh, his father turned him over to Nimrod, to the king. They threw him into a fiery furnace to, to burn him alive. And Baruch Hashem, he was saved. And he was looked upon as the, the, the Apikoros at that time. Everyone else was worshiping idols except for him. And this Avram Avinu, at one point Hashem approaches him and Hashem says to him, Lech lecha me'artzecha u'mimoyladetecha u'mibesavicha. Leave your land leave the place that you, the culture that you grew up with and leave your family and go to the land that I'm going to show you. The Hashem doesn't even tell him which, which land it's going to be. And, and Rav Nosenthal writes about this a lot. And interestingly, I just saw this yesterday on Shabbos in the Gemara. Those that are learning Daf Yomi are learning Mesech the Soita now. And a few pages back, the Gemara mentioned that the Torah will not remain with a person permanently. A person will not feel the full effects of the Torah until the person is willing to strip themselves naked for the Torah. That's the wording of the Gemara. Until the person will make themselves naked for the Torah. Rashi points out, what does this mean? It means 
until a person is willing to strip themselves of, of their physical pleasures, their physical comforts, all of the things that they're used to. A person has to be willing to move away from that in order to achieve a real deep relationship with the Torah, with the tzaddik, with Hashem. And this is why, <coughs> this is why this person had to, when he said to him, how far should I accompany you? He said, outside of the house, come outside of the house. And, and this was the test for this person, because there are people who are willing to learn Torah, they're willing to meet a tzaddik, to go to a tzaddik for a bracha, that kind of thing, but on condition that they're going back to their house. <laughs> they're not changing anything major in their life. They're going back home, going back to their, their lifestyle, everything, all the comforts of their life and everything. That's a certain type of connection. That's a certain level of connection. But it's a completely, completely different connection when a person realizes, the Gemara says that if a person wants to be Zerchet to Torah, the person has to be willing to accept upon themselves, pas ba'melech toichal, to be willing to eat bread with salt, umayim ba'mesura tishta, and to drink water, val ho'oretz tishan, and to sleep on the floor, not in the comfort of your own bed, to sleep on the floor. And the Gemara says, if a person will do this, Ashrecha v'toivloch. The person will have, will enjoy this world. Ashrecha They'll enjoy this world and then they'll, they'll enjoy it in the next world. So Rav Zal asks, you're going to tell me I'm going to enjoy it in the next world? Maybe. That I can, I can choose to believe you or not to believe you. But you're going to tell me I'm going to enjoy it in this world? It's possible to enjoy existing on bread and water and sleeping on the floor in this world? And the answer is that when a person tastes a real, true connection to Hashem, to the Torah, to the tzaddik, the comfort, the, the more comfortable bed, less comfortable bed, doesn't mean anything to them. That's nonsense. All of the comforts and pleasures of this world are a joke compared to the ethereal pleasure that a person feels when there's a to taste real Torah when there's a to taste a real, real connection to Hashem, when there's a to really come close to the tzaddik, all of those things become secondary and, and almost meaningless compared to the incredible, incredible high, high that a person feels from the closeness to Hashem. Thank you, Reb. Sure. We'll close with one more note. And we're not finished with the story. We'll continue in Hashem the following week. Although um, they, they will, the next Sunday in Hashem, as of now, there will not be a shir. I hope to have the privilege in Hashem this coming Thursday to travel to Uman for a Shabbos in Hashem. I'll be back Sunday night, late Sunday night, this, the following week. We spoke about <coughs> going to the Tzaddik. I hope to be able to go. I've, I've had the privilege many times of going and I didn't go this year and certain other circumstances and reasons why I hope to go. And I hope to be a shliach for all of us, Mitzvah to represent all of us there, Mitzvah Here we said oh, that the, 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 the guest took this host flying and then the host sees he's back home and then he's flying and he's back home. And this is the concept of when a person comes to a tzaddik 
when a person is with the tzaddik, they feel like they're flying in the heavens. But the person has to come back down. The person comes back down to real life. And then they connect to the tzaddik again and again, a tremendous high. It's not, a, a person cannot be with the tzaddik 24-7. A person spends a certain time with the tzaddik, either physically with the tzaddik, learning his foreign, and the tzaddik takes the person flying to an incredible high place. But then the person comes back down to earth, and the person now has to work themselves in real life with their family, with their friends, with eating and drinking, going through all the different things of life in this world, and, and yearn, yearn for the next round, yearn for the next opportunity to, to be with the tzaddik again, to be able to go flying again, to go high and to keep going higher and higher. A question in the chat, why was the host afraid to go out with the guest? Did he suspect him to have, to have some kind of evil intentions? The answer is yes. Very often, because we are in an oil sheker, because we're in a world of falseness, there are many, many people in this world who appear, who seem to be stars, who seem to be major successes. And it seems that if being in touch with this person, I'll, I'll, I'll have bliss, I'll have blessings, all kinds of blessings. And then people find out that the person isn't such a star. On the outside, they look like a star, but on the inside, that person could be suffering much worse than other people. Or, or, the, or again, in this Olam HaSheker, within the falseness and fakeness, these people appear to be stars. So sometimes when a person engages a real tzaddik, there's also a feeling of kabdeyu v'chashdeyu, that maybe it's a tzaddik and maybe it's not. Maybe it's a false leader. We know that in Klal Yisrael, there's a concept, there were true prophets, Nevi'eh Emes and Nevi'eh Sheker. The Torah speaks about this. So there is this fear, there is this suspicion that a person has when they engage, when they meet somebody new, to be able to see, is this the real truth or not? But if a person, if a person is really honest and sincere, and if a person is really searching for the truth, if a person isn't searching for personal glory, personal self-respect, things like that, if a person is really sincerely looking to come close to Hashem and to come close to the truth, that person, and prays very hard, that person will be zeichet to find the truth and to be able to realize when they, when they find the truth, the real truth. Any other questions? Rabbi uh, Maimon, I'm doing the uh, day-by-day uh, uh, Rabbi Nachman thing, and I remember it, it said, I think it was either Tuesday or Wednesday, it was saying that Rabbi Nachman uh, was saying that Rabbi Nachman didn't start to smoke until he under, or do many things before he understood the mystical meanings of those things. And he, he it also mentioned that he, he encouraged, he said to his followers, even though he did that, he did not suggest for his followers to smoke. Do you know where that is? Because I was trying to quote it for a friend of mine. I believe that's in the Sefer Chayim Maharam. In, in the Sefer I'd have to, to search to find the exact... I, I, I remember seeing it. If I can, maybe, for the next year that we have, I'll try to... Or I'll try to either send it to you personally or we'll mention it then, Yitzhashem. Thank you. 
Rav Maimon Yashukov. I have a question about the seven beggars. Um, when it says that uh, the beggars say uh, that give the blessing that um, the children should be like them. Specifically, does that mean uh, they should have the same mitot, or does that mean that they should go through the same uh, trials? I, I believe it means the first thing that you said, that they should achieve the same success as the bettler. They should have the same qualities as the bettler, to close their eyes to the foolishness of this world, to close their ears to the sounds that a person doesn't need better off not hearing, etc. Thank you. Wishing everybody a wonderful week and a wonderful Chodesh. Should be zeichet to to draw all the proper conclusions from hearing these stories. It should bring us closer to Hashem, closer to Tzadikim, and be zeichet to the Gula Shleima in Herobiyameinah.